Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the Tishya Ayurveda podcast. It's been a while since I've recorded an episode, uh, so this is going to be my first episode of 2022, a little bit late, um, but today's topic is going to be what to expect from an Ayurvedic consultation. This is something I want to demystify. A lot of people think that Ayurveda is, you know, some weird system that nobody outside of India could relate to. That couldn't be further from the truth. When you are in relationship with an Ayurvedic practitioner, and I say in relationship because it is a scientific uh, medical system that is for everyone. You start your consultation with your Ayurvedic practitioner and it is going to hopefully become a relationship that you establish for your life or um, until you find you know, the solution to your medical problems or you develop your own um, Denucharya or daily routine, which we'll get into um, maybe in the next episode. Uh, that's a very important part of what we do with Ayurveda. We help the patient establish their own routine that fits their lifestyle. And the greatest description of Ayurveda I've heard from one of my mentors was that Ayurveda is a family practice. It's not just for the patient. That is a wonderful way to introduce Ayurveda to uh, my audience and to anyone that wants to know what Ayurveda is. Ayurveda is a family medicine. It's the science of life. It's how we approach our day-to-day life. And as you know, when you have a medical issue or you go see the doctor, you're not the only one that's affected. Everyone else in your household is affected. And in essence, your family is affected. So when you uh, see an Ayurvedic practitioner, it becomes something that affects the whole family. And oftentimes, in my experience, in my clinical um, practice and when I was in my training, when we would see patients in the clinic, uh, they were very curious. And most of them are Westerners like myself, raised in the United States. They came to the system because they were fed up with the Western system and they wanted something to teach them about their bodies and teach them about diet. They usually brought either their spouse, their parent, their child. They brought somebody else to witness the, um, the whole process. And, you know, sometimes we would get that other person in the clinic as well. And we would treat them, uh, you know, make double appointments for the mother and daughter or the husband and wife. And we would give them uh, solutions that they can help each other out with. So that's, that's the beauty of Ayurveda, which you don't really see in Western medicine, you don't see a doctor and they don't tell you, hey, um, this is for you and your wife. This is just for you. So that's uh, something that I think we can really use to set apart the practice of this Eastern tradition. So now let's get into what 
is to be expected when you see an Ayurvedic practitioner. Uh, just like any other, um, you know, medical exam, there will be questions related to your health. There is usually an intake form, just like when you go see your doctor, we ask for the medical history. Uh, why are we doing this? Because we are going to give you, um, you know, solutions. So we need to know your full history. Um, we ask what people's day-to-day -day routine is, what you eat from sunup to sundown. If it varies uh, throughout the week, we want um, to see what it would be like basically to be you for a week or a day. And then we take that into consideration. So if we have a patient that is you know, in their 20s, they're in school, they're under a lot of pressure, they don't really have time to, you know, cook for themselves. That is something to consider versus somebody that works for themselves. Uh, they're at home all the time. They don't really have um, any kind of uh, limits to what they can do. So these two different lifestyles are still to be considered when you're seeing a patient. Uh, another interesting part of the Ayurvedic examination is the pulse and the tongue. We look at the tongue uh, because the tongue is an extension of the heart. So when you're developing in the womb, the first or one of the first organs to develop is the heart. And interestingly enough, the heart is connected to the tongue. So that central um, channel going up from your heart all the way through your throat is the tongue. So the tongue gives us an idea of what's going on throughout the body. And the pulse, we check to see the levels and the humors in the body, the doshas. So we check the vata, pitta, and kapha on the two sides of the arms through the pulse. Now, something that's a little bit more advanced in the pulse reading is we can check the chitta or the manas. We check the mind. We see uh, what kind of mind we're dealing with. We also observe the patient. So when we're talking with the patient, if we have someone that's very fidgety, or, you know, someone that's very, um, you know, talks a lot. We observe everything. That's part of the process. And when we touch the patient, um, when we're doing the pulse reading, we also feel uh, the patient's skin to see the texture. And also we can see if they are abnormally hot or cold. So that will help with our diagnosis. Another part of the clinical evaluation is looking at the eyes and, you know, my favorite, and often the patient really likes this as well, is a dosha quiz. So a dosha quiz can be something that you can do online at home. It's pretty simple. Or your practitioner might have their own dosha quiz. Uh, I made my own dosha quiz to include more questions that are a little bit more detailed, but often they're based on the same tenets. They're measuring the vata, pitta, and kapha. So it will give you the results that you can start to use in your own daily life and apply. So once you've done the dosha quiz, 
either at home or with your practitioner, then you can see, oh, I'm, um, you know, vata dosha, but my imbalance is pitta. So what does that mean? That means a vata person has um, more air in their body and perhaps they're more fidgety by nature or, uh, you know, their mind fluctuates a lot. Maybe they're thin, they have thin bones, a thin frame, but their imbalance is pitta. So what does that mean? That means that this vata person is experiencing Maybe they have burning in their mouth or they're having some kind of GI or intestinal inflammation. This is where Ayurveda is wonderful because you can see that this person by nature wouldn't be so hot in their imbalance is causing this. So how do you fix something like this? You then after you go through all of the medical history with the patient and you look at the tongue, the pulse, the eyes, uh, and observe the patient, you also ask them questions based on uh, what their bowel movements are. This is something that is often not talked about in medical history of a patient. It's often overlooked and put into a category of something unclean to talk about. This is very important because your bowel movements are how you can tell if you're functioning properly, if all your organs are working by observing your bowel movements and your urine, you can see if there's something wrong. Because in essence, your bowel movement is just the waste products of the food that have been digested and are being released by the body. So if you want to look at it in the clinical perspective, this is a very important part of the uh, analysis as well. And the most critical factor, in my opinion, is sleep. We always ask about the quality of sleep. Quality of sleep is very important because if you're not getting good sleep and you're not waking up feeling refreshed, then there's definitely something off there. Because the three pillars of Ayurveda, one of them is sleep. Sleep is how our body repairs itself. It's the time that we, you know, allow our um, fight or flight mode to turn off and we go into this space where all the cells and tissues can rejuvenate. So sleep is very important. And, you know, it's pretty normal in our society to not have quality sleep based on, you know, your lifestyle that could vary. Some people have great sleep. Other people, you know, have often have sleep issues. So this is something that we also address. So how do we put this all together and make it something that the patient themselves can become involved in? Depending on the level of, uh, disease or if it's chronic. Um, if we have a simple case, maybe somebody's coming because, you know, they want to learn how to eat healthy. Then what we would do for that patient is observe all these things, um, get all their results. And then based on their dosha, let's say they're a vata dosha, um, then we would give them a 
diet that would help them keep their vata balanced. If they tend to be on the imbalanced vata side, then we would give them a vata balancing diet. And that also includes yoga, which a lot of people are very curious about. And I love that there's a lot of interest in it, but there's a lot of misinformation, a lot of yoga being taught incorrectly. Um, I worked for the Iyengar Institute in Los Angeles for years, and I've studied Iyengar yoga, and I'm very blessed and glad to have that tradition um, of knowledge because that, in my opinion, is one of the most authentic forms of yoga. It teaches yoga for everybody. It is yoga that is adaptive to your lifestyle. It's adaptive for people with injuries. It's a wonderful system of yoga. And I highly encourage anyone that's curious about yoga to check out Iyengar yoga. Now, um, that's usually the type of yoga therapy that I would recommend to my clients if they're interested in yoga. And I would also suggest if you don't know anything about yoga and you want to try yoga, that you uh, find a teacher that can observe you, that has uh, years of practice if you have had injuries in the past. So that's my little uh, spiel on yoga and safety because you want to do yoga properly and you want to have an understanding of the correct things to do. Now, there's no... Um, when it comes to yoga, you should do as much as you can handle and never push yourself. You know, people often want to, you know, right away, just do all the wild upside down poses. Uh, that's not the goal of yoga. The goal of yoga is therapy and also to get to a place where you're not thinking, uh, one of the the most famous, I would say, uh, sutras of Patanjali is Chitta Vridi Nirodaha. Hopefully I didn't butcher that too bad. Uh, but in Sanskrit, that translates to yoga uh, stills the fluctuations of the mind. So that's, you know, that can be just doing one pose every day. Maybe you're doing Shavasana every day when you get home from work for 10 minutes. That's an excellent therapy. So, you know, that's how we would look at a patient and a basic understanding of what your Ayurvedic consult might include. Something uh, that I do that not a lot of Ayurvedic practitioners do is I include, if the patient is interested, um, I do a Vedic birth chart for them. And I include that as part of their Ayurvedic profile uh, because I feel that is an important part of the art and history and practice of Ayurveda that is not being utilized as much anymore. Uh, it's because it is very uh, hard and precise uh, science. Jyotish or Vedic astrology is something that is very, very deep and layered. It's a lifetime practice. You're constantly learning. But when you incorporate the patient's birth chart, 
you can see that there are often things that will manifest um, based on their birth chart, which is really interesting to me. Uh, you can look at their, for example, sun and moon placements to see. Um, and also, you know, you look at the houses just to be very simple and, and put it in terms most people can understand. You look at these different placements to see maybe they have a placement that shows that they would have a predominance to a, you know, maybe a nervous system imbalance or a skin issue. And oftentimes when you see that in a chart and you speak to the person, it's there. So that's the beauty of this. It's um, it's something that is time tested. Actually, in the ancient practice of Ayurveda, a client was often given the birth chart reading along with that or their birth chart was referenced and yoga was given as a therapy along with the herbs. So this is not something unusual. It's just unusual in these times that we're in because most people will choose to do one or the other. Um, so now we'll talk a little bit about the herbs. So when a patient is given an herbal remedy, you know, this is something that is thought out. This is definitely something that has to be uh, tested by the patient. Often we uh, give our first appointment, for example, and then a month later we ask that you follow up if you're taking herbs so we can check in and see how those herbs have been working because herbs don't work right away. They take time because of their energetics and also the person's uh, digestion and sleep and lifestyle will also affect the energetics of how the herb is um, working with your body. And also another thing about herbs, you know, don't, uh, I would say don't experiment with herbs that you don't know if their energetics are right for you because most people don't even know that herbs have a potency of hot and cold. They just think herbs are herbs. No, herbs have an energy of either heating or cooling. This is something that is also practiced in Chinese medicine, which I'm very grateful that people understand what Chinese medicine is because Ayurveda and Chinese medicine are very similar. So if you've had experience with TCM or Chinese medicine, you know that herbs do work on pacifying certain things. Now, herbs also are not to be taken forever. It's something that you use as a therapy. And when that disease or imbalance is corrected, then the use of the herb is stopped. If it's a more chronic disease or a chronic imbalance, the herb can be given for longer periods of time. But most times, herbs are not to be taken consistently on a daily basis or else they will just stop working because they become part of your body and your body doesn't really use them the same way that it did in the beginning when it was introduced. So I hope that that was a really um, a little bit of a more um, clear description of what it's like to see an Ayurvedic practitioner. It'll vary with your practitioner. Some practitioners do have other trainings, so you might get uh, more or you might just get, you know, 
diet lifestyle and a very, you know, bing, bang, boom type of um, practitioner. But that's the beauty of Ayurveda. There's so many people practicing it now. You'll, I guarantee you, you will not have the same experience with another Ayurvedic practitioner. So if you're curious about Ayurveda or you would like a consultation, you can always uh, email me at lunarmysticism13 at gmail.com. And I hope you've enjoyed this episode about what to expect for an Ayurvedic consultation. Namaste.